Masechet Besada 40. This is the last half of the Masechet, so I'm looking forward to completing this and starting Rosh Hashanah next. Uh, we, we end with the last two Mishnayot, which are, this, this one's going to be about Eruv Techumin, and then the last one's, last one's going to be about the laws of Mukseh. So we have an interesting case here. Misha Yuperotav Be'ir Acheret Verbu Beneotah Ir Lavi Etzlo Miperotav Lo Yavilo Vim Erav Hu Perotav Kamohu. You have a person who lives in, uh, in one town over here, and generally any of his possessions can uh, move the extent of his tehum, wherever he makes it. The problem is he has some produce that's at someone else's house. Let's say this, the owner is Reuven, and he gives it to Levi, because can you hold on to this here in your house? And uh, it's more than 2,000 amot, so you need an Eruv. So case number one is if Levi, who lives over here, let's say he makes an Eruv, uh, so he can travel himself 4,000 amot. The question is, can he bring the produce to the owner? Since he can walk, maybe we would think he can. So regarding that, we say, lo ulo. he cannot bring it because that produce is limited by the owner. And if the owner doesn't make an eruv here, since the owner cannot walk to the produce, the produce cannot be brought to the owner either. Case number two is if the owner himself makes an eruv in the middle, since the owner can get to his produce, so then yes, he can walk and get it. Or if there is someone who can walk uh, that this far, they can bring it for him. But basically it goes by the domain of the owner, even if someone else is watching it for him. And next, very interesting case of, let's say this guy here has some guests, guests over, and then he wants to give them, you know, there's leftovers, he wants to give them a parting gift so that they, they could t- take home with them. But let's say they don't have the same overlapping eruv. So if this owner, let's say he made an eruv all the way to this side, and his guests come from the other side, so if he gives, gives his guests some food, then his guests cannot take it home with them because it goes by the owner. Since he owned the food from before, it cannot move that cannot be moved outside of the owner's tichum. However, if he um, designated it to them before, transferred ownership to them before, um, the way you would do that is, let's say before Yom Tov starts, he says, listen, I know I'm going to have these guests over and I want to be able to give them this, uh, these cookies for dessert. So he would, it's not enough just to say, uh, these cookies belong to my guest. He actually have to do something. What he could do is he could find someone else around and, and give it to them. And that person will accept it on behalf of the, of the guest that's going to come tomorrow. And so as long as you do some kind of action that transfers ownership, and he does that beforehand, since he did that before, so now it's actually owned by the guest, even before Yom Tov starts. So therefore, the guest would be able to uh, pick it up and take it home. Uh, afterwards. So those are the cases of the Mishnah. Basically, it's uh, affirming that everything goes by the owner, and no matter where that item is. Now, Itamar, we're going to see Machlok at the Moraim in this regard. Uh, so if uh, Levi Give some perot uh, says to Levi, can you hold on and safe for safekeeping of my produce in your house? You'll be the watchman, but Reuven owns it. So Rav says it goes with the person to with whom it is deposited. In other words, Levi. 
the store, um, the storehouse owner, we'll call him, right? Or Levi. Um, so it goes by him. Now, this actually seems to go against our Mishnah because the principle in both parts of the Mishnah was that it goes by the owner, not the, not the home where it is. And Rav, yet Rav says it goes by the home where it is, not the owner. We're going to ask questions on Rav from, from our Mishnah in a few minutes. Shemuel uh, Shemuel says it goes by the depositor, meaning the owner. That makes sense. That's exactly what we just saw. Okay, so before we ask questions on Rav, we're going to ask three questions on Rav. Before that, we're going to see if Rav and Shemuel's opinions here match up with another machlok that they have in Baba Kama regarding Dinei Mamonot. Maybe they say the same thing here as they do in their, their opinion somewhere else, the same principle. Ditnan. If I have um, produce or oxen or a car, let's use a car, and I park it in someone else's driveway or in their lot, and I have permission, I get their permission, and then some damage happens, a brick falls off the roof or something, some damage happens, then the lot owner has to pay for it because... They gave, if I, if I park in someone's driveway without permission, then they're not responsible. But when they give me permission to use their lot, then they are responsible, like a parking lot, right? They're, they're responsible for anything that happens while it's in the lot. That's Tanakama. The B says, no, more limited liability for the lot owner. They're not liable unless they explicitly say that I am responsible to watch over it. So therefore, if I just say, you know, can I use your driveway and park there for, for a while, then the lot owner is not responsible unless he signs something and says, okay, I am responsible, like, uh, like a car garage would. You're paying them, and then that, that because of that, they're responsible. Otherwise, if it's not explicit, then no. So we see that uh, the banan have a more expansive definition of responsibility. They assume responsibility. The beast says, no, only if you say so explicitly. Now, what does that have to do with us? Happens to be that Rav and Shemuel have a machloket on who to decide like. Rav says like chachamim, in other words, more expansive responsibility. And Shemuel says like Rabbi, only if he says so explicitly. Now that we know this, perhaps Rav, who said up here that it goes by the owner, the storehouse owner that it goes by his feet, his domain. Well, maybe that's because he has a more expansive definition of responsibility. Anything that's in that, that lot owner's uh, property, he is responsible for monetarily. And therefore it makes sense that he would also be um, connected to it so that he can carry it anywhere that he can go. And on the other hand, Shemuel, who says, it follows the, o- the owner of the item, it follows his feet, only where his tichum can go. So he would, that would match up with the more limited liability that a bee says, just because you're parking in my driveway doesn't mean I'm responsible if I don't say so. I don't take responsibility. It's not mine. I'm disconnected to it for responsibility and therefore I'm disconnected to it also in terms of tichum. And so this is really quite brilliant uh, to uh, think of these two completely different halachot and try to match them up. And so it could work. But we reject it and say, not necessarily, because you can make an argument both ways. You can flip it around and still have an argument as follows. 
truth is, I can even follow the B who has more limited liability regarding the parking lot. The reason is because stam. If you just parking my lot or just put your ox in my in my yard and without saying anything, then we assume that I am not accepting responsibility. It's enough that I let you uh, I let you park there. I, I didn't say responsibility, so therefore makes sense for it to be, and we don't assume responsibility. But in this case of the produce, I gave you the process. Can you watch this in your house? So I'm explicitly asking the person to be a watchman, and so therefore the cases are not equivalent, and it makes sense to follow to be in one and that yet have a more expansive uh, definition regarding the fruit and say, yo, you gave it to me to watch? Oh, now it's like mine, I'm responsible for it. And so, yes, in fact, in that case, it would follow the feet of the storehouse owner. And the other way around also makes sense. I can even follow the, the more expansive definition of Rabbanan in the parking lot. In that case, the owner of the ox or of the car, he wants to transfer that responsibility to the lot owner because I don't want to be responsible. I want, the, I, want the, I want the parking garage to be responsible. So then, therefore, I willingly and uh, give that to that person. That's why the lot owner would be responsible. Because the, the car owner doesn't want to be responsible. But in the case where Reuven takes some of his fruit and says, Levi, can you hold this for him? Does, Levi want, does Reuven want to relinquish any jurisdiction over it? He doesn't want to. He wants to keep that fruit for himself. He wants to stay as connected as possible. And therefore, it will follow the tchum of the owner of Reuven. He's holding on to that because he does. He wants to give as little uh, as po possible connection to Levi. So you see that these are also different cases and um, different considerations. And so in fact, Rav and Shmuel do not necessarily line up between our case and the one in Baba Kama. All right, now that we've concluded that, now we're going to ask three questions on Rav, uh, two of them from two parts of our Mishnah. The first one, Tenan. Vim erav hu perotav kamohu. It says here that if uh, I own some perot and I give it to someone who is um, more than 2,000 amot away, uh, but if I make an eruv, then it follows me. I can go and I can get the perot and they can be carried anywhere that I can go. So you see that that follows Shemuel, that it goes by the homeowner, homeowner and it's a question challenge to Rav, because Rav says it goes by the storehouse owner, um, right? It goes by Shemuel, says it goes by the owner of the fruit, and against Rav, who says it goes by the storehouse owner. So how was he going to do with this? That's the question. If you say that it goes by the storehouse owner, which is what Rav said, then just because the fruit owner made an eruv, so what? Who cares about his eruv? It should only matter where the storehouse owner made his eruv. Um, the answer is, Oh, the sages in the school of Rav, we don't have a tradition of what Rav himself said, but his, his school afterwards said, uh, taught that it's for, uh, that, would, that, that would apply, the Mishnah's case would apply when he, the, the storehouse owner designated a corner for the house. In other words, he didn't keep it with all the rest of his stuff, but he said, this corner here, that's where I'm going to keep Reuven's fruit. And by doing that, 
he's showing it's separate from from everything else that he that he has and it's in its own jurisdiction that of the owner hey you can come anytime and get it i am not connected to it so that's why in that special case of the mishnah the store the fruit owner uh, can make an eruv and it goes by his feet but then otherwise if he didn't designate a special spot but just moved it around wherever was convenient then in fact that's what i was saying Rav's law would kick in and it goes by the storehouse owner's uh, feet. And now second challenge from the end of the Mishnah, Tashema. So here the, 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 the case is, person has guests over and he wants to give them some dessert to take home. He cannot do that because it goes by the, the food owner and not by the guests, unless he gave it to them already from before Yom Tov. This second case, when you say, before Yom Tov, I already transferred ownership to them. Who cares? How does that even help if you transferred ownership to them? Nevertheless, the host of this party still has it in his house. So according to Rav, it should follow the feet of the homeowner of the host. And it doesn't matter if you transferred ownership to the guests beforehand, because it doesn't go by the fruit owner, by the homeowner. So what's Rav going to say to this? In this case, because he didn't just uh, have in mind, uh, maybe I'll give it to these people, to the guests tomorrow. He actually went out of his way and transferred ownership to them by means of a third party, right? He gave it to someone else and said, accept this on behalf of my guests who are coming tomorrow. So that's the same as if he designated a corner for them. He did something active to show that he's not connected to them. This is a separate domain, separate property. It's theirs. Um, second answer, which is quite similar. If you do this transfer of ownership, that's different than just... Uh, than just a standard case of Reuven tells Shimon, can you hold this for me, right? Because in that case, Levi says, sorry, Reuven Levi, Levi says, okay, fine, I'll hold it uh, for you. Um, but he's not necessarily thinking that he, it's, oh, it's going to be in the designation of the owner for the laws of Eruv. He's assuming it's part of my house it's every, with everything. But if you transfer ownership specifically, well, then that would show um, that would show that it's, he's uh, he's uh, relinquishing, right? The storehouse owner is relinquishing his connection, um, and so he doesn't care where it's carried, and that's why the store owner works. Um, okay, so that's how Dov can um, answer that second question, and now the third question um, comes from a story. Um, yeah, Rav Hana Bar Hanilai. One time, this Rav Hana Bar Hanilai, he was uh, away. He was at a host's house, and he had some meat that he wanted to take home eventually on Yom Tov. And so he took the meat in the meantime, while he was going to Bet Knesset or whatever, and he hung it on the bar, the lock of the door. Why would you hang the meat on the bar of the door? Well, you don't put it on the floor because then the animals will get it. So it's good to, good to hang meat. That's why today in the stores and things, they hang meat. Um, okay, so he leaves it there. Now, Now, 
So now he wants to be able to take it home. And his question is, can Rav Chana take it home following his own tichum, or does it follow the tichum of the home of the host? And that is the question. Now, uh, so he comes to Rav Huna to answer the question. So remember, Rav Hana is coming to Rav Huna, and Rav Huna says it depends. If you're the one that put it on the door, then you can take it home. If the host is the one that put it on the door for you, then you cannot take it home. It depends on that. All right, we're going to discuss both parts of these. The first, the first part. Wait, so what? So what if, the, if Rav Hana is the one that put it on the door? Can he take it? That goes against Rav. And after all, Rav Huna, uh, who answered this question, he was a student of Rav. And Rav said that it goes by the person where it is deposited. It goes by the host's house. And so if it doesn't matter who owns it, even if this meat is owned by Rav Hana, it is owned by Rav Hana, it makes no difference that uh, because it's in the house of the host, and he's um, he's uh, he's uh, um, uh, watching it. Uh, therefore, it should go by the host house. So, what's the difference here? That's now. This is the third question on Rav, and we answer. Oh, the the door, the house, the host door is like a special spot. There's not the host doesn't keep most of his meat in on the doorway. He has a pantry inside where he keeps he'll keep things. Putting it on the doorway is saying, oh, this is for the guest on his way out. He'll remember to take it with him, and therefore, by putting it on the door, like in the previous two cases, is demonstrated. The host is demonstrating, I am I am not connected to this. It's the host. It goes by his. Um, by his uh, feet, his tichum. And so that will answer that question. Okay, and now the second part of it, that if they, if the hosts are, were the ones that put it there, then he cannot take it. And this is very strange. Like, what would be the reason? Uh, what's the difference if the host put it there? It doesn't make any sense. And we're going to see three different rabbis challenge this law. And uh, we're going to end up uh, concluding that it was for a completely different reason, actually. So here, just because the hosts are the ones that happen to hang up the meat on this, uh, on the door. So now the owner, Rav Hana, cannot take it with him on, on Yom Tov. Shmuel, a couple of days ago, he said that a fattener, professional ox fattener, he he has a lot of oxen, but he knows that he's going to be giving them to uh, customers on Yom Tov. They're not going to pay him on Yom Tov, but he's going to give it to them. So he already has in mind that you know what, whoever comes and takes this particular ox, it'll be his, and therefore it goes by the tchum of the person that takes it. And so to hear. It, the host knows that Rav Chana is going to be taking this. And so it doesn't matter that it was in the host's uh, property domain beforehand. Rav Chana should, is going to be taking it and he should be allowed to take it in his tachum. That's uh, example number one, challenge number one. This is another question that they're asking Rav Asheh. I don't know why they're asking Rav Asheh. He is not the one that said the law in the first place, but they're all asking him this question. And they say, and just because they, the hosts, hung up the uh, the meat, does that so what? So that Rav Chama cannot take it now. Why? Right. 
We have a we have a tradition that we follow the law. We follow the tradition of uh, the halacha of Rabbi Dosa. What did Rabbi Dosa say? If you remember a while ago, he said that if there's one shepherd in town and everybody gives their sheep to that one shepherd to use, then the shepherd can take it anywhere he wants because they know that he's going to be taking it. So the shepherd can walk with the sheep of the owners anywhere they want. So you see again here because we know that the meat that just like with the the sheep was going to be given to the shepherd. So too, the host knew that they were going to put this meat aside for Rav Chama, so Rav Chama should be able to take it anywhere he wants. And that's question number three. Third challenge, now Rav Asher, they were both asking Rav Asher the question, but he doesn't know himself, and he asked Rav Kana, just because the host put the meat on the door, why can't Rav Chama, the guest, take it? The Mishnah said a general rule, everything goes by the owner, 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 owner. So why, why would there be any problem with this? Okay, so the here's the answer. We were misunderstanding the the uh, the the law all the, this whole time. This law, when Rav Huna told Rav Chama, you can't take it. It wasn't because of Tichum, Tichum Shabbat, Tichum Yom Tov. Had nothing to do with Tichum. Um, rather, it had to do with another law called Basar Shenit Alem Min Ha'ayin. Law that applies today. If you have meat, let's say it comes from a kosher restaurant or a kosher, kosher butcher, but um, you're, a Jew is not watching it the whole time. They give it to a non-Jewish um, messenger to bring, Uber Eats, to bring to your house. Now, you don't know if he switched it. Actually, it happens. Uber Eats a lot of times switches orders. So maybe he switched the hamburger from your kosher restaurant with another order from a non-kosher restaurant. By mistake, on purpose, doesn't matter. So because of that, the rabbi said, if there's meat that's not observed, uh, goes through all right uh, uh, any any time that no one is seeing it. This is uh, then it's not kosher. This is like you know your suitcase at the airport at El Al. They ask you you know what did you have your suitcase with you the whole time? Did you leave it alone for a few minutes? Someone could have put something in it. So that's the, that's the case here, and that's what we're talking about. Ella He was the guest, right, who was going to take the meat home. And he is a great sage. Because he's a great sage, he's not paying attention to what's going on around him. He's thinking about Torah the whole time. And so therefore, he's not looking at the meat the whole time to make sure that no one is going to switch it. Therefore, so Ravuna says, listen, if you put the meat there, then that's a mark. You'll remember exactly where you put it and how you put it, and you're not going to divert your attention because you're the one that put it there. In that case, you could take it and you can uh, assume that it's the same meat. But if the host were the one that went and got the meat and put it there for you to remember, then there's no sign, there's no indication, and you weren't even thinking about it. You're just going to get it later. In that case, it could be someone might have come and switched it on purpose, by mistake, whatever reason. And that's why he wasn't able, to, that Ravuna said, don't take it. Um, nothing to do with Tehum Shabbat. So that's always interesting when you have a whole law of legal discussion uh, that someone said something, but actually it was not relevant to this, uh, these, these halachot at all. All right, and now the very last Mishnah is about uh, Mukse. Uh, question? Yeah, so in the, the, was it the first or the second question, we brought Shemuel to, a, a, as, a, as part of the question against Rav Huna, who we say was following Rav, but uh, 
can't we just say that, uh, you know, he's following Rav, he's not following Shmuel in that case? Um, yes, I guess you, you could say that, but we're, we're just, you know, we're bringing as many questions as we can. So even without that, we will still have a challenge. Um, and uh, I don't know if Rav specifically would disagree with the Patam case. We didn't, I don't remember seeing that that was a machloket. Mm-hmm. So right, that was Allah that... Shemuel added, but uh, that may very well do agree that with that with that Patam law. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So Mishnah says, "En mashkin veshochatin et tamid bariot, ava mashkin veshochatin et bayatot." There's different kinds of animals. There's desert animals. They go and graze out on their own. Sometimes, you know, you're driving this, you see goats that are just around and uh, doesn't seem to anybody anybody watching them. You know, wild ones. Um, and they are mukseh because you didn't you didn't have them in mind. So therefore, you're not allowed to give them water, and you're also not allowed to take them for a meal and do shechita on them. Uh, however, if they are bayatot, if they're domestic animals, in other words, they're yours, they're in your farm, uh, then you can feed them water because they're dependent on you, right? So we saw this law regarding pets and things. You're allowed to feed your own animals that are dependent on you, but you can't just go to a wild animal and, and feed it. It has nothing to do with you. And the ones that's yours, you could also, excuse me, do shechita because uh, you, they are designated. They're not mukseh. And now what is the definition of desert ones and, and domestic ones? They're called domestic if they sleep in the city. The city is where the people sleep also, right? I would have my people would have their home in the city and then they would have their farm out there. So they come they come home and they sleep uh, in the city, not at the, not in the pasture land, rather, right? They don't, they go out to pasture far away during the day, but every night the animals come back home. Those are domesticated. You can eat those, but the ones that are desert, they go and sleep out in the pasture and they don't come back to the, back to the farmhouse. Okay, that's the Mishnah. Now, Gemara asks, uh, first, a technical question. Uh, why, why are you talking about giving it food? Right, uh, it's not relevant to our topic. We want to know whether you're allowed to slaughter or not slaughter because of mukseh. What does the what does the law of watering have to do with this? Um, and there's different opinions about what you could water. Um, some say that you can water any thirsty animal in your possession. It is in your possession, even if it's uh, if it never comes back, but it's still yours. You have a tag on it or something. So as long as it's yours, you should be able to it uh, able to to water it. So mashkin seems to be out of place here. And the answer is, This is not teaching us a halacha, but rather good advice that you should always give the animal a lot of water before shechita so that it's, it will be easier to skin, uh, to, t- to remove the skin. Um, because when you have a lot of water, somehow the skin gets looser. So this is good, uh, this is good advice that before you do shechita, always do it together, mashkin and then shochatin. But anything that you could do shechita, certainly you could also water it beforehand. All right, good. Um, now to the substance of the matter of the definition. The Mishnah gave a definition, but we're going to see actually two opinions about it. Which, which ones are which? Midbariot, desert animals, kol bepesach. It's called a desert one if it goes out in the beginning of spring and comes back, comes back in the beginning of winter when it starts to rain. Right? They go out and they pasture by themselves all summer long. That's the desert one. So you cannot eat that 
take that. Those are mukse. The ones that buy taught, they come back often. They go out to pasture outside the Tchum and then they come back uh, inside the Tchum on a regular basis uh, at every night because they come to sleep. That's definition number one. And that seems to fit with the Mishnah also. Okay, the Mishnah didn't say how long they. They, they, they do that. Okay, so that's the, the first opinion. The B, however, the B is a Biudanasi, Omer, Elu ve'elu bayatoten. Both of these categories you just mentioned are considered domestic. If they come home every night or they come home, come home every season, nevertheless, those are domestic. Elu, ela, ela, elu hen midbariot, kol shiotzot ve'rot ba'afar, the ones that are desert ones that are mukseh are the ones that go out in pasture all year long and they never come back to sleep at home. Uh, that's what that's the ones that are mukseh. So the bee would actually be more lenient because he would say that the animals that go out half a year and come back are not mukseh. You could use them and only these. Okay. This also actually would fit with the words wording of the Mishnah. The Mishnah is very general, uh, just halonot bayir and halonot ba'afar. But it doesn't say when or how long. So uh, Rabbi, who is the author of the Mishnah, uh, could very well uh, fit his words. Um, good. Now, so that's the two definitions. And our last discussion is going to be about Rabbi himself. What is his personal opinion regarding the extent of Mukseh? So um, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, asked Rabbi, asked his father. So Rabbi Shimon is asking his father to be the following question. Okay, the, the, his son's name happened to be Shimon, happened to be to be Shimon. But he's asking uh, about Rabbi Shimon ben, ben Yochai's opinion, who was uh, you know, uh, two, three generations before that. Um, and so the question is, unripe dates. Unripe dates, usually you'd put in a basket and you leave them to ripen until they're edible. But I mean, people may, may want to eat from them even before they're totally ripe. And so his question is, according to the Bishimon, see the Bihuda, right, his colleague, the Bishimon's colleague says, expansive you. If you put something in the basket, that's it. You're not even thinking about it. It'll be Mukseh. But how Bishimon, who has a very limited uh, category of Mukseh, what would he say about these uh, unripe dates? And the B, Yehuda Nasi, answers his son, and he says that, according to the Bishimon, only dried figs and raisins are, while they're being dried, are, are mukseh. Why those? What's the difference? Because those are actually edible. You could eat grapes and figs uh, like as they are, but then you go and you specifically put them, in, put, put them aside in the yard or on the roof to ripen. That shows I am not, I'm not thinking of eating them. So those are mukseh um, so until they're totally ready. However, these unripe dates are not the same as that category because the unripe dates, you're always, you're waiting every second. Oh, is it edible now? Edible? Maybe I'll try one now. And so Rabbi Shimon would say, it's not mukseh, it's okay. So Rabbi answers his son. The question, interesting, look at the wording of the question. The question was, according to Rabbi Shimon, would it be mukseh? And he says, no, according to Rabbi Shimon, it would not be mukseh. So that's the case. Now, here's our question. Up here, Rabbi gave a definition of what is a desert animal, and this has to do with the laws of Mukseh, which only Rabbi Yehuda would follow. So here, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi has an expansive view of Mukseh, like Rabbi Yehuda. 
Whereas in the second story that his son asks him, he is giving an answer for to be according to the Bishimon, which suggests that he agrees with the Bishimon, who has a limited definition of Mukseh. So that's the question. Does it be Yuda Nasi have Mukseh or does not have Mukseh? Is he followed to be Yuda or to be Shimon? And now we have three answers. Answer number one is we can explain the difference. Unripe figs, unripe dates are the same as the, the, the figs that are drying out and the, and the raisins that are out drying. Uh, the Bishimon also would say that these are in fact uh, mukseh. And so that was his answer. His answer was, was not that they're okay. Their actual answer actually is that they're mukseh. Okay, that's answer number one. Or maybe the second story when his son was asking, his son was only asking according to the Bishimon, but it wasn't the Bishimon's own opinion. He was just answering for the Bishimon. The Bishimon himself thinks that there is Mukseh. And that's why in the definition of animals, he gave his what he truly believes. There is Mukseh. And the last uh, uh, answer is, that really the Bishimon himself does not have Mukseh. Like Rabbi Shimon. And that's why I gave the answer in the second one. The discussion in the first case regarding animals was not according to his own, his own opinion. He was saying, according to those, the Rabbanan, who have Mukseh, uh, that, that was, would be the definition, like as follows the Didi and Mukseh. I don't have Mukseh, so I think any animal is fine. Even the desert animals, you can go and kill it. But according to you, that you do have mukseh, or do li miha techa de yosot verot be pesach, benichnasot berbiadi shonade by totena. Even according to you, you should agree that the animals that go out to pasture for the summer and come back in the winter, those are still called domesticate, domesticated, because at some time of the year, they come and sleep over at home. Argue with the Biodanasi regarding that and say, no, those are desert animals. So that's a machloket within the Biuda that the Biodanasi was participating in, but really he told the opposite way. So you see, these three different answers are, are like, you know, the complete different spectrum. He didn't mean this, he didn't mean that that way, or he was able to reconcile uh, everything together. And with that reconciliation, we say Hazran Allah Mashilin Perot Uselika Masechet Besa Hazakimu Beruchim to all those who have uh, completed Masechet Besa, and we look forward to uh, next study of Masechet Rosh Hashanah. Baruch Adonai Leolam Amen